morning, everybody. Happy, oh God, we've all got to go back to work day, uh, which is why we're late as normal. Uh, welcome to the first news agenda of 2024, which I see no reason to start being on time with. Uh, with me, Fleet Street Fox, and today I'm joined by the Mirror's assistant editor, Jason Beatty. Morning, Jason. Morning, Susie. <clears throat> we got there in the end. Happy now, this and to you. Do we still say Happy New Year on the 8th? Yeah, we do. Well, it's better than saying Happy Blue Monday or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, God. It's, it's Divorce Monday, isn't it, I think, today? Um, <laughs> now, this is the People's Paper Review. So get into the comments. Ask us your questions. Those of you listening later on podcast will just have to put on an extra jumper to deal with a cold snap and pray for an early general election. So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on Hollywood star Idris Elba's call to ban zombie knives and machetes, which is launching a national campaign today to cut down on knife crime. More on that a bit later. But first, I want to take us to page six. Six! I've never been so blessed, where I have a story in the paper for once. Now, we've often talked on this show about the Mirror's support for nuclear test veterans and my investigation into their missing medical records, where blood tests were taken from them before, during and after witnessing atom bomb explosions to see if any radiation entered their bodies. Now, the British state has denied holding any such records for decades. And of course, the veterans have never known what the results might be. And in fact, in 2018, the MED told Parliament it had no information about blood testing. Last year, it admitted it may hold up to 5,000 files and published a list of 150 document titles that they admitted all related to blood and urine testing. Now, the latest development is that we've managed to prove some of those files have been locked under national security classifications. In other words, that an old man's blood test is as dangerous as the bombs they witnessed themselves. Now, Jason, this doesn't really make any sense, I would hope, to other people who aren't just completely as obsessed with the story as I am. As one Tory MP who's quoted in that piece says, how can a diagnostic blood test present any kind of threat to our nation's peace and stability? Can you see a reason for that that, that escapes me? I, I, I feel, Susie, I should be interviewing you rather than you interviewing me, me on this, <laughs> as it's your, your, your campaign. So do, do you want to just explain to those who aren't as familiar with it as others about how you started it and, and what you're campaigning for? Oh, gosh, I started it because um, I think I picked up the phone one day and someone, someone, you know, was a test veteran on the phone because the Mirror has campaigned for the, the nuclear veterans for decades. <clears throat> when I was there in 2002 in the Sunday Mirror, um, it was regarded as just the, the, vet, the nuclear veterans paper, if you like. And so they used to ring in with stories. And I think I sort of rang in and did one. And then there was another one. And then there was another one. And before you know it, your name gets attached to it. <clears throat> and um, after you've done one or two, you know, it's not just a case of um, like you always get in, in newspapers where someone rings up and has a moan about something. Or, you know, the, the slabs outside the paper shop are wonky and that's it. Problem solved. Um, they just they keep coming up with the same thing. And what was unusual about it was that the Ministry of Defence kept denying the absolute obvious. They kept saying that no one was harmed by nuclear weapons tests. I mean, what is the point of having it as a weapon? If it doesn't hurt people, that is that is the the, the terrifying thing is that it does genetic damage for generations. Uh, yeah, that's, so, so roughly, how many people were affected by this, Susie? Well, we there were twenty two thousand veterans here at the tests. We think from uh, the number who've applied for the medal uh, that was announced last year that there's probably about two thousand still alive out of those. But, so ninety percent have died. 
But as you say, the crucial thing here is, is this is passed on to the generations, isn't it? Because the, the conditions they, they got as a result of being exposed to radiation. Well, that's the belief. That's their belief. And that's what we all know radiation does to DNA and genetics. They, they can't really prove it because the science to experiment on a human being to see if radiation damages their genes can't be done for ethical reasons. The only way you can ever expose a human being is if you accidentally do so at an atomic bomb test, at which point it would make sense, because there's no science on this, to gather their blood to see what has happened to it. Now, um, any of us watching this would have been to hospital at some point. I was there a year or two ago, my daughter with a suspected sort of appendicitis, you know, pain in her side. And when we went to hospital, they did blood tests. They did urine tests, they did blood pressure tests. They did listen to her heart. They did a sonogram to see what was going on inside. And they found that it was just an inflamed lymph gland type thing. But when they said to us, everything's fine, you can go home. That was after they'd told me the results of every single test. So I knew when we went home, she was fine. Now, can you imagine being in that situation? You think your child's got appendicitis and they just say to you, you can go home. And you, they're not telling you the results of the blood test. You don't know if your, your child is well or you are well or not. You go home and you worry and you fret about every single new twinge. And the test veterans have had that for 70 years, plus they've got high rates of cancer, plus they've got high rates of miscarriage and birth defects. So it all adds into this belief that something has gone wrong, um, but they just haven't been able to establish it or prove it or really answer the question. And blood so, tests, if they exist, would do that. And now we know we've got these medical records, but they're being kept under lock and key under the guise of security, national security? National security, that, that actually publishing these documents would somehow damage our our peace and stability yeah uh, uh, and your suggestion is that it's nothing to do with national security it's all because they're terrified of compensation well this is the obvious conclusion isn't it if there are blood tests and if they exist then they would prove whether or not radiation did enter these men's blood now if they are completely clear and there's no harm, then there's no harm in publishing them, frankly. I can see perhaps a national security problem where you say, well, look, if we say that nuclear weapons don't hurt people, then everyone's going to start bombing us and we don't have a deterrent anymore. Maybe that's a, a national security explanation for it. Um, but if they, if they show that there is radiation in the body and it has done some harm, I don't see how that's going to harm national security because that's what everyone thinks already. Our enemies already think that would happen. And all it all it means is that you've got to start paying out and you'll be paying out billions across the Commonwealth because there's 22,000 British soldiers, but many thousand more across the Commonwealth. Am I not right to think that some other countries have paid compensation to nuclear test veterans? Yes and no. So every other nuclear power on Earth admits that um, nuclear weapons do do some kind of harm to those who are closest to it. So in America, they pay out a lump sum if you've got one of 21 radiogenic conditions. But they won't pay out for miscarriages or problems with your children. Australia gives you um, some free medical care uh, and a commemorative medal, I think. <clears throat> and uh, New Zealand gives you genetic counselling. France pays war pensions, but it's difficult to argue for them sometimes. Russia gives you war pensions. China gives you war pensions. Britain's the only one that doesn't. The absolutely only one. They all sort of quibble it a bit, but they don't. Now, Steve, uh, who is quoted in today's story, and his dad, David, was uh, in charge of the airfield at Maralinga in South Australia in about 1962 when they were running something called Operation Vixen. 
There's David. Now, he uh, Operation Vixen was a series of experiments on nuclear warheads to kind of to see what would happen in the event of an accident. Right. So they were blowing up plutonium to see where it would go, <laughs> to see how it dispersed, to see how there might be a problem with nuclear warheads, some sort or another. Um, and Steve was born with a range of undiagnosable genetic conditions, which had never been seen before. There he is with his mum, Jackie, uh, in his wheelchair and some other campaigners. When we went to Westminster a couple of year or two ago. And Steve says, you know, he's applied for his dad's blood test. The RAF have confirmed that they hold his dad's blood tests. And Jackie there is his widow. She has a right to her husband's medical records, but they've refused to give them to Steve and his mum on the grounds of patient confidentiality. And Steve says, I'm not a threat to national security. I'm a father trying to get answers and help for my two-year-old son who has a rare genetic condition, plus my own undiagnosed genetic disability. It doesn't really make sense, Jason, that people like Steve don't get answers on an individual level because the British state takes the view that the totality of the data it holds is somehow dangerous. I don't, I don't understand how blood tests are dangerous. I just no. don't. And, and it, the most shameful aspect of this is, is that these people, you know, did their service to their country to actually try and make this country a safer place. And, and, and they are being denied justice and their, 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 their children and their grandchildren being denied justice by, 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 a, by a kind of, you know, a, an institutionalised way of thinking, which is, is, is kind of like, shows no gratitude at all. No gratitude, but also no, no questioning of itself. So what's happened here is these documents that we've managed, the, the, out of the 150 they admit yeah. they hold, I picked two that look particularly interesting. Um, one is a 1957 document from um, an operation in Australia, and one is 1997. Uh, it's just called Nuclear Test Veterans. That's all. But I picked it because 97, of course, was an interesting year. It was a change of, of power um, between mm -hmm. the Tories and Labour. Now, what seems to have happened is that these two documents have been locked under something called a Lord Chancellor's instruction. Now, that is completely normal. It is the standard legal way in which you withhold documents from the National Archives. Um, but it itself has to be public. So you can hide the documents, but the LCI has to say which documents you've hidden and why. Right. Now, we've pulled the two LCIs that relate to these documents. And what's really interesting is they don't mention um, nuclear weapons, veterans, blood tests, anything. They don't appear to relate. If you were looking for these documents, in other words, or if you're looking to see if they had been withheld, you wouldn't know how they had been withheld. So you've got a situation where the medical records are hidden, the, the documents about those medical records are hidden, and the means by which they were hidden is itself not discoverable. It's astonishing. <clears throat> and so when we've been reporting for 20 years, 40 years, um, that nuclear veterans say their medical records are missing, the civil servants who have to answer our questions and queries go off and look and say, well, is this true? And they come up against a brick wall and go, oh, no, that's not true. The mirror is lying. The veterans are lying. It <coughs> seems there, to not fall down to find out what was walled up a long time ago. Is there any legal recourse that you can yes. take? <clears throat> so what's happening now is the MOD is facing a lot of problems from all fronts. Because we found these documents now, you've got war pension appeals, which are demanding that an individual gets their blood test in order to have that war pension decided. 
you've and there's judges on war pension appeals who have powers to order documents to be produced if they're there so you've got that secondly you've got one daughter of a veteran um the first one we found last year who has got a, a sort of a, what they call it's like, it's like a semi-trial a hearing coming up with the information commissioner's office to get her dad's blood records out of the RAF which admits they hold them but doesn't want to give them to her and thirdly we've got a lawsuit which is about ready to launch um and there's a crowdfunder which you can uh, search up we can always put it in the comments as well but if you look for bloody truth and nuclear veterans you will find their crowdfunder they need to raise a hundred thousand pounds to get to the basically the courtroom steps mm. um and we've got about 50 so far so we're halfway there we've got enough to sort of start sending letters but not enough to to go much further than that so we re- there you are, 53,900 put on a bit since last, last night. So we really need any help that anyone's got um, to, to pledge some money to that would make a huge difference. But with those with that lawsuit, which is suing the MOD to produce those medical records, um, I think with everything else, the MOD is going is finding itself starting to get a bit hedged in. You know, it's going to have to go and look at the box at the back of the room under the table that's covered in spider webs, which they've been intentionally not looking in for the last 70 years because there's all kinds of horrors in there which will hop out at them. Um, so it is going to have to come out. But we have had, you know, they've sat on this for a really long time, Jason, and whether they buried them deep sort of by accident or intent, they're, they're, they're not going to offer them up as easy as all that, I wouldn't have thought. No. Just, just one last question on this, Susie, because I, I know we've got other things to discuss. Are these Lord Chancellors? Really and Chancellors? Interviewed. <laughs> yeah, I, welcome to my show, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> are, are these Lord Chancellors' options? Are they indefinite? Are, are they time limited or not? They have a when you when you publish them. I don't know if I've got one here that I can show you. But when when they're written, they're basically they're all signed off. They're proper documents. There's a paragraph that says, "I, the Lord Chancellor." schedule for these documents at a certain time and it gets signed you know in ink by the lord chancellor day and then there's a schedule of documents attached to the back which says you know ministry of health document number 647 for one month right so there is a, a the document is named the department that generated it is named and how long it is being withheld is named and and you have some idea then of the dates and so on involved you don't know what's in the documents but they also have to cite which exemptions they're using so we know that these two Lord Chancellor's instructions, which were both issued in 1997, mm-hmm. one before the Tories lost power and one after the Tories lost power or Labour gained it, um, that they were both signed by Lord Chancellors and they were both citing national security exemptions, but they, they don't have these documents attached to them, which they should do. And it was the Ministry of Defence and the Department of Culture that told us those LCIs relate to those documents. And when we pull those LCIs and they don't mention those documents, we're now asking them, are you sure about this? Have you got like a secret Lord Chancellor's instruction you're not telling anyone about? How is this possible? So there's more to do. There's more digging. But I think we are, um, you know, we're a long way down the down the burrow now. <laughs> we've got a bit further to go before we get there. But we've got lawyers. We've got barristers. We've got... Um, facts and also the data protection act on our side now which the veterans never had before and they can actually start pulling some of this stuff and demanding access to it which is why we are where we are and that why it's taken this long as well 
<laughs> is that the end of the interview? Crikey. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you can have your show back now. <laughs> uh, well, um, if anyone's got any questions about any of that, uh, do get into the comments and let us know. But basically, there'll, there'll be more to come, I'm mm. sure. Um, now, to the main story of the day and the knife crime crisis, which has been on our streets for decades, let's face it, but it's finally getting some attention um, with the star power of Idris Elba, who written in the mirror today about why and how this needs to be tackled. Now, Jason, we've had Home Secretary after Home Secretary saying they'll ban zombie knives and machetes. Mm. Why are they going to listen to Idris when they wouldn't listen to mum after mum after mum? begging them to do the same thing i mean who knows susie i, I mean I what they're doing it sounds it's going to be incredibly moving but they're going to be outside the houses of parliament this afternoon um as mps come back from the christmas break and there's going to be 247 piles of neatly folded clothes and in some cases these are the clothes that young people were wearing when they were fatally killed by a by a knife or a blade um and you know that may jolt the conscience or it may just be kind of you know ignored like previous attempts to ask for some sort of action on on knife crime yeah i mean this is a you know it is ridiculous <clears throat> i just before we came on I, I just did a quick google of machete and just my screen just came up with blade after blade after blade to buy online incredibly easily. I mean, I know there are age verification checks, um, but they're pretty easily circumvented. And the, the, the ease with which you can buy a really dangerous lethal weapon and the fact they're so ready for sale is, is, is one aspect which needs tackling. But it's, it's, it's kind of part of a kind of, a, a much wider series of measures which need to be brought into place. Um, I, I'm, this Don't Stop Your Future, this new campaign, which has been headed up by, by Idris Elba, is one of the main suggestions which I'm pleased about is actually there's got to be better education in schools. Uh, the Mirror has been calling for this for, for over 10 years now. Um, but the other key thing, um, you know, they, they, Tougher sentences, yes, it's a, it's an aspect. It actually doesn't, you know, the sentences are pretty tough now anyway. It's not, that is not the way of looking at it, the most effective way of looking. most effective way of looking at it is actually engaging with young people and trying to give them something else to do and warning, teaching them about the dangers of blades. And, and it's not a coincidence to my mind that knife crime offences have, have risen from around kind of, 20,000 in 2010 to 50,000 the latest a year now, roughly more, or take. They, 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 it, it hovers around that mark. Most of the reported ones, by the way. So, um, and yet at the same time, there's, you know, been terrible cuts to, to youth services. Exactly. That's one of the points that Idris makes in the, in the piece that he's written. So, mm. <clears throat> you know, a bit of star power can work wonders to bring attention to things, to actually make mm. politicians want to stand there and have their photograph taken with somebody, all that kind of mm. stuff. It doesn't make a difference. We've seen that as well with the, the post office drama. Mm. Um, a scandal has been going on for, for 20 years. Journalists have written about it and reported on it for decades. Mm. But 
it took ITV to get the government to say actually wants to vindicate all those postmasters that were involved. Um, like Mike says there, very little was done about the post office scandal, despite it being widely known, until a drama was made about it. Mike, you're like, you're in my head. Maybe government will listen to actors more than they will those affected. And one thing that Idris points out in his piece, which is worth remembering, is the government banned American XL bully dogs because they were seen as dangerous. And after a comparatively short space of time, um, and in quite a hurry, they did it quickly. They just added them to the list of dangerous dogs. Why can't the government just add these knives to the list of dangerous weapons that, like assault yeah. rifle bombs, that you're not allowed to sell? It's yeah. it's easily well, I, there is <coughs> legislation <coughs> which is planning to do that, but it's going through problems, and it's a very torturous and very glacial pace at the moment. Mm. Um, as I say, you know it. it Lots of little things need to be done, and kind of, I, I really think that the the you know if you look at places which have actually kind of successfully reduced knife crime comparatively. I mean, it's not eradicated it by any means, but you know in Scotland the, the real emphasis was on education, and it and it did make a difference. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was just looking at some statistics from the local government association. Like since 2010, the year the Tories came to power, it's quite important to remember. 750 youth centres have closed. The budget for youth services has been cut by 69%. You know, there are kind of 4,500 fewer youth service workers. You know, that these things make a difference. They do. And it's, I can remember when <laughs> Boris Johnson was first mayor of London, mm. one of the first things he cut was... Um, Stop doing a thumbs up every time I lift my thumb, stupid computer. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that he did cut was across London was community youth services, mm. you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, however long it was. And this is one of the things that perhaps has stemmed out from all of that. I mean, it's kind of yeah. astonishing. Jamoki on Twitter says, well said by Idris Elba. It's a shame that this valueless and incompetent government needs to be told the obvious. Well, yes, but um, it's not just about the ban. So we get into the comments, everybody. What do you think about this? What do you think can be done <clears throat> to fix knife crime? It's not just about this ban. Idris is also talking about the need, as Jason was talking there, for community workers of just the sort that were cutting austerity, better funding for youth services. But what you were saying there, Jason, about whether or not the politicians are going to, you know, really engage with this or just announce another crackdown, there's a big elephant in the room here, which is that while black and white kids alike have been victims and perpetrators of these crimes. It is seen as a problem of poorer and blacker communities. Now, the politicians talk tough. They speak about crackdowns, um, but they, they generally don't, you know, they never, ever speak like Idris does in that piece there uh, and speak about help and support. You know, they don't, they, they see it as a, as a problem. It's kind of because the people that are, are, who are talking about the problem <laughs> have no experience, regardless of the colour of their skin, have no experience of being on those streets and in that situation. And they just talk about punishing people. They never talk about helping and supporting them. And yeah, those, uh, is I, it because I, they're black or because they're is, poor or because they just don't vote or what? I, I we, we do actually come back to the, to, to, to the dangerous dogs. I mean, we've been campaigning on the mirror for a long time on, on dangerous dogs. And, and one of the things that struck me right at the beginning was that the, the, the the young children who are being mauled sometimes to death by by dangerous dogs were were it was happening more frequently on 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 estates in poorer areas 
and I kept on thinking if just one of those deaths had been a a, a, a kind of blonde, blue-eyed young girl in mm. a very nice part of Surrey, the, the kind of the government would have acted a lot more quickly. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, if it was one of our own. And I kind of always and but they were ignoring it because it just literally wasn't on their doorstep. And it and I kind of think it was the same happens with 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 with, with knife crime. But you know, if 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 one of the victims was a a kind of you know a kind of in a Daily Mail heartland, the outcry would be a lot greater. Mm. But it happens in Croydon, so it's ah, you know that's what yeah. you expect. And yeah. I you know there's a there's a there's a definite degree of 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 snobbery here, and I think there's also a, a kind of a definite degree of of actually just being out of touch. But yeah. they don't you know it, it it's not in their in their known world. But um, that's I mean, it's not in it's not necessarily in our known world, Jason. But here we are discussing it with a bit more, I hope, empathy yeah. than you normally get in Parliament when it gets discussed. And yeah. uh, you know, the fact that there are so many people in in politics who are there to act for others, and that you are acting for everyone in your constituency, you are there to you, you're there as a public servant. You're not there to <clears throat> some of them do you know enforce your views on the rest of the world and make it make it more like you. You're there to represent. Yeah. And the fact that it's not your personal experience, nuclear bomb tests aren't my personal experience. I never saw one. I can still speak to people who were involved and see how it must have felt. Why? You know, we've got so many people in Parliament. It's more diverse than it's ever been. But regardless of colour of skin, there are very few people in there who grew up on really poor streets, regardless of colour. There's very few people on there whose own children are going to be at the tiniest risk of this kind of problem. Steve says these knives need to be banned, but uh, Jason's right, education is key. Even if the knives are banned, someone wants one badly enough, they will get one. And there's this demo in Parliament Square that you're talking about today where they've got these piles of folded up school uniforms to represent there's 247 that were killed by knife crime in the past year. The past year, everyone, 247. Uh, can you imagine if there were 247 middle-aged white men had been knifed can you imagine if 247 little girls who looked like Maddie McCann had been knifed or 247 pupils at Eton, right? They would never have got to 247. It would have been stopped at 10, never mind 50 or 100. These knives would be banned. They'd be banned in a week. I find it astonishing. I really genuinely do that. I don't think it's intentional racism. It's that, you know, what Harry and Meghan talk about, unconscious bias. But when they see a problem, when they see that black people are involved, I think there's a, a black and poor people involved and people who don't vote for them are involved. They tend to think, well, we need to crack down. We need to be tougher on them. They never think those people need our help. They just... <sighs> Can't we have some kind of a multiple choice quiz when you become an MP? You know, just a basic morality test. Is this okay? Is this not okay? And if they answer the wrong one, they're gone. That would be handy, wouldn't it? What do you think, everybody? What is the solution to uh, the knife crime crisis? Is Idris Elba going to help? I suspect so. We're on Radio 4 this morning at 8 o'clock, which um, your average mum whose kid's murdered by knife crime is not going to get to do. So hopefully he'll be a, a great advocate for them. Uh, Steve says, I agree with Mike. We also need a nuclear veterans drama. On ITV, uh, paging Toby Stevens. I'm here, I'm ready, I'm waiting. Uh, I don't think I should do the script, but um, I don't know who would play me. 
That girl. Let's ask, ask that question, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> the girl from the IT crowd, I'm always told. Right. Um, thank you, everyone, for taking part. Thank you for explaining all that. Now, we do have managed to find some good news for you in the world. There is some, and here it is. Now, it's often said that a free bus pass is a drain on the state. They cost a lot of money. Local councils struggle to find the money for it. But here's one woman who's really given us our money's worth. Uh, Ruth Major, 79 years old. She took 59 buses and travelled 500 miles from her home in Red Ruth all the way to the Scottish borders to pick up 100,000 pieces of litter. Now, she was highlighting this blight on our country, which she said was in every single place that she stopped on the way. Uh, and says so also we're all able to do our bit to pick up a bit of rubbish when we see it, which we should do more of. Um, Jason, is this proof that no one can make a few pennies stretch quite as far as a 79-year-old woman? Isn't she wonderful? She's great. She's great. <clears throat> I love the fact you can travel from, from Red Roof and Cornwall up to she got up to Berwick on Tweed, didn't she? Which as far as you can go. Yeah, it doesn't say how long it took her, but I imagine no. on 59 buses it might have taken her a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's rather marvellous someone's prepared to put themselves out that way. Yeah. A couple of years' time, Susie, and I get my free bus off, so I'm really excited by this. <laughs> what are you going to do with it? I can go and get some litter. I, can... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Obviously, there's an awful lot of councils she would have passed through on the way who should have been picking up that litter. And an awful lot of people, millions of people that she passed, who shouldn't have been throwing it out of their car windows in the first place. It's so the fair. worst offence of all. Yeah. Oh, cans. Mm out the window even in the country lane i live in we get it and it's, it's disgusting it really is it shouldn't be happening yeah. if, if uh, you see anyone littering today pick it up i had a school teacher once primary school teacher who told us that she saw something in front of her at traffic lights just chucked a load of stuff out the window she got out of her car she went up she picked it up and put it back in again <laughs> i suspect no one would do that today in case they got knifed but um i think more of us should make an effort if at all possible. i did that once did you what happened well, this kid in the back of his car just dropped a can out window. So I picked it up and back in. I hadn't realised that his dad was in the front. His dad was like 20 stone and huge. And he got out of the car and then I had to run away. Oh, no. But <laughs> if someone actually gets out and wants to threaten you because you've stopped their kid littering. I know. I mean, you've just saved them a hundred quid littering fine if anyone saw it. Hmm. Threatening to lamp poor Jason. <laughs> on, the, on the basis that your kids should be allowed to drop a camera every feels like it. Steve says it's wonderful she picked up all that litter, but shameful that lazy people drop it in the first place. Make that your New Year's resolution, everybody. Number one, pledge to the Nuclear Veterans Crowdfund. And number two, pick up your litter and take it home with you and put it in the recycling bin. Right. Thank you very much, everybody. We managed to get through all this quite nicely. We'll be back again on Wednesday um, for a, perhaps a slightly more organised second news agenda of 2024. And we will see you all then. Thanks for listening, everybody. Tatty bye.